get as much cash up front as you possibly can. Mm. Get it all up front as you possibly can. It does a number of things. Your client will be a lot more motivated. But, you know, if we're talking about cash flow, it's not enough to just say, well, just go do that. Because the reality is, is most people don't have the sales skills to be able to actually say that's how it works and have their clients say, okay, sure. So there's, there's some skills that have to go into it. It's all connected. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast, jamesschramko.com. Uh, this is episode 940. Today we have a repeat guest, Mandy Ellison. Welcome back. James, thanks so much for having me back. It's such a pleasure. We had such a great conversation last time. Of course, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. And I had a lot of good feedback from it, which is always a great indicator. So if you are listening to this podcast and you like a particular guest, please let me know and I'll get them back. I think that's one of the things that differentiates this show to a lot of other shows that have guests is they like to get guests one time every time. I don't mind bringing people back and going deep. And I want to go a bit deeper today. Clearly, you have fantastic experience in the area that I'm fascinated with. You run the business handsoffceo.com. I know some of my listeners have actually reached out to you and had some help with you in the areas that you specialize in, which we'll cover in just a sec. I think in a market this big, there's so many areas where we can move that mm. it's impossible to cover everything. And that's what I like about these sort of complementary episodes. First off, just let's have a little overview of who Hands Off CEO is perfectly suited for. And then I'm going to share a story with you and get your response. Sure thing. So Hands Off CEO, we work with companies that are right in this space where they have gone past the growth stage and the CEO is really gotten quite stuck in the company just because they've been successful. It's a natural consequence of being successful. And they find themselves at a place where to be able to grow the company, they have to work more and more hours. But at the same time, they need to be able to generate more clients to generate the cash to be able to hire people. But it's this catch-22 because they don't have the time to actually bring on those clients. So it's really this place they get stuck in where they've gotten to a level of success, but really feel like kind of hit a dead end a little bit where the only way they can grow is to be able to work more and more hours. So we work with a lot of agencies. We work with a lot of really difficult to scale services where there's a high degree of skill and where the client is essentially buying the CEO, but they're at a place, most of them are in the million dollar range or on their way there. So that's who a good client is for us. They generate really good results. Also, that's something else we only are interested in helping companies scale that are doing really good work in the world. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Love it. Yeah, there's a, a strong overlap with the type of clients that listen to this podcast, which is great. You're in the right place. <laughs> so yeah. I want this to be relevant. So with that in mind, I want to just talk about a recent change that we had in my own business. We switched from our brand Superfast Business to my personal brand. And one of the reasons for that was because of one of the words in my brand back in whenever I started that business, probably sometime around 2007 or eight, I knew that you could have good, you could have fast, you could have cheap. And I didn't want to be the cheapest supplier. I definitely wanted to be high quality because I came from Mercedes-Benz and I thought I might as well be fast. That's something I'm actually pretty good at. I'm reasonably flexible. Over the years, what I've noticed is because I work with intermediates and advanced business owners, who already have something up and running, they've usually crossed that threshold of being able to get to market quickly enough. But then other problems come in. And it's those other problems I'd really like to make this episode around, especially when we're looking at, a, at the time of recording this at least, there's some pretty interesting news stories and economic forecasting going on. 
the way I'm reading it is basically, you know, all that free money that everyone got handed out during the pandemic and all the discounts and special subsidies or whatever, I think now it's time for payback. And so it's looking like there's uh, dramatic increases in the cost of goods, the inflation rates, et cetera. So there's a lot of bad news in the press. Now, of course, as an independent entrepreneur, I choose not to participate in everyone else's misery. All I see is the need for flexibility and the need for sustainability. So one of the big reasons I changed my brand is I believe the key skill in business is to create a business you can actually sustain. We do not want to be one of those businesses that in three to five years shuts the doors because they couldn't survive. So if we switch into sort of semi-survival, but more thriving mode, through this next phase, I think we're going to be looking at some of the areas that we're going to talk about. Now, to sort of kick this off, you and I were chatting previously and privately about some of the areas where you've been helping some clients and they're not the typical things that you would normally hear about. Often you're hearing about marketing sort of stuff, you know, a new sales magnet or a lead capture page or an email sequence. Well, that's all great. But I love some of the I guess it's more boring stuff, but when you really roll up the sleeves in a business, you get under the hood. We're talking about other aspects. So let's kick off with one of them here. One of the ones that came up was debt collection. Now, I think this one's going to be a hot topic for the next period. So I think we're on trend here. So why don't we talk about how you can tune a business up in the debt collection aspect. This topic is very dear to my heart because it was my first full-time job as a debt collector in 1991 in the uh, recession we had here in Australia, that's where I found my opportunity. Yeah. So I love that you shared that. Most of the information out there for growing a business, they call it scaling a business. That's not scaling a business, but that's a hot word that works well in marketing. So they use it and I don't blame them for it. Continue, right? (laughs) But there is something very different about growing, which is one plus one versus scaling, which is one plus one equals two, which is scaling is one plus one equals three or 10. So we want to create a new formula that will be able to generate a different type of growth. So we're not going to create that growth by just focusing on the open rates and focusing on the next new shiny marketing tactic or whatever, because the reality is, is that those are all things that come and go. And the tactics are, they're short-term things that are going to spike your income, but they're not going to create that sustainability in that long-term. And one of the things that we've noticed, and actually we look for when we are evaluating whether to accept a client into our Scale to Freedom tribe is how are they thinking about their business? Are they thinking about it as this like one-off, like I got to get income like the next week? Are they open to these different, more mature conversations like we're having right here? And are they looking at cash flow? Are they looking at their profitability versus just like, I want to be able to get to this number, you know? And are they looking at like, what is the actual cost of getting there if you're continuing to operate in the way that you are? You know, maybe I'll give you an example because actually this one gentleman who was listening to the last podcast, and this is actually why you say, come come back and tell us how things are going. So he's been on, he's been a client for, I mean, maybe 90 days. I don't even think it's been 90 days because it was probably 90 days since we were on your podcast. But in this matter of time, he's been working probably 80 hours per week. And um, not all of our clients are working 80 hours per week, but in his case, like so totally stuck in the business, right? And as we dig in, we're looking at, well, how do we be able to make this business more sustainable? How do we be able to make more money with the current structure without changing too much? So one of the opportunities that we found, I'll just talk about cash flow first, because that's one of the things that we're talking about, right? We got to really mm-hmm. shore up that, that cash flow. And we found out that he had $250,000 of 
uncollected debt of outstanding invoices, right? Now, the challenge is, is that most companies think that that is reasonable and that's okay to do this net 30, net 60, net never sometimes if it's the government. And um, <laughs> they, they think that because that's, well, that's how they, they say they pay us, right? Well, it's your business. You get to decide, but it's not so simple as that, right? Because if you're not in the situation where you have the upper hand, where you can say, this is our pricing policy, and this is how we work. How we work is we, we do an initial X amount, and then this amount, and then this amount, or like you get to decide how you want to do it. But the first thing is, is just as a general rule, get as much cash up front as you possibly can. Mm. Get it all up front as you possibly can. It does a number of things. Your client will be a lot more motivated. But, you know, if we're talking about cash flow, it's not enough to just say, well, just go do that. Because the reality is, is most people don't have the sales skills to be able to actually say that's how it works and have their clients say, okay, sure. So there's, there's some skills that have to go into it. It's all connected. It's huge. It's been a, a perennial piece of advice I've had, especially for service businesses. Just get paid up front. I did that from day one. And thankfully, like I have a cash flow positive business. The only part of my business that's in arrears is my partnerships, but they're very carefully vetted and super trusted and it's in their interest to pay me anyway. I've often said to a client, well, just tell them that when they pay, then the work starts. And they're like, oh, but they usually offer, well, just, just tell them that's how you work. So I'm saying the exact same thing. Yeah. You went into business so that you could have control and be in charge of your own destiny. And then some people occasionally say, oh, but I'm dealing with an enterprise or a government agency and they I can assure you almost all of them have a credit card for expenses that is to the side of their regular policy because there are other things that you just can't get on credit. Maybe they need to buy a piece of equipment to do a training and they don't want to go down and set up a store account for this random one-time purchase. So they have a credit card. So often there are ways around it. Mm. I like as a business owner not to have to charge extra for debt collection and to put in those fees and to have the administration hassle of following up overdue invoices. So I eliminate that at the front door. Right. Now, in the case where your client has racked up a large accounts receivable, what sort of mechanisms do you go in and suggest they do from that point? So if, okay. let's say from all new business, sure, we change the game. We've, we've become so desired that they need to deal with us and they're happy to pay us up front. That's great. But what about this pot of money? Yeah, I'm glad you uh, pointed that out. So the first thing we look at is, well, first of all, one of his biggest challenges is capacity. So they can bring on more business, but they're at capacity, right? So we took a look at that and say, okay, well, no more work until bills are paid. And that was challenging for him to do. He was really nervous about doing that. But once he saw the other side of that, he's like, all right, I did it. And then immediately he starts getting checks coming. What do you know? Right. Yeah. And it also helped him be able to see the ones. And as we were going through this, one of the things that he recognized too, is that not all of his clients are created equal. <laughs> And that there's some of these clients that probably are taking up a lot of bandwidth that aren't even that good of clients to work with in the first place. And as we started to look at this, we started to notice that there are other bottlenecks that were impacting the business that were tying up all this capacity. Some of these lower end clients that were slow to pay, that demanded to talk to him and no one else on his team to be able to book one of their, their teeny tiny projects. And then when they would get there, they oftentimes would have all these other things that they never told them about. So just like the thing is, is not all clients are created equal. And I think too often companies in the service space treat them all as equal. And it's just not that way. So 
that exercise also helped him see which clients he no longer wanted to accept. And now that opens up all the space for new growth for him. That right there immediately started to generate more cash coming in with the non-payers or the slow payers rather. So something that I know you know this, James, but one of the things that businesses don't really understand is that if you are doing a net 30, for example, which is extremely common, not only are you waiting 30 days to get paid, but you also are like, if they're two weeks late, for example, you now are waiting 45 days. So, and you've already done a month of service on top of that. So it takes so long for you to be able to get paid. Meanwhile, you're actually incurring expenses on your own. So you're basically being their banker. Exactly. It's being the bank, which is the main reason that I've suggested to my clients, don't be the bank. If you were going to be the bank, you'd have to build in a very high surcharge for that to be worthwhile. I notice some suppliers, they'll have two rates. They'll have the rate or the rate if you pay now. So they actually have a differential between you know, having that extended term. Now, I'm not sure the financial finessing around that. I'm sure the regulations yeah. around. I know, for example, when you have installment payments, it's better to lead with the installment payment as the amount and then the pay once as the discounted amount. In Australia, at least, I don't think you're allowed to charge a surcharge because then you actually cross over into being a financial <laughs> institution or some weird little hiccup. Huh. But just to roll back on that other point about scoring clients, that's something that um, if I was doing credit terms, then I would definitely have that as a column in the client spreadsheet. I actually score my clients too, but I have other factors like how joyful are they to work with? Mm-hmm. How much can I improve their situation? Are they famous or unknown? Because the famous ones bring a lot of referral business. And so these sort of factors, I, I'll rate them out you know, and, and come up with a client score. And the bottom rung of clients is people I'll filter out of my new marketing and I will not ever re-engage with. And the best clients, I'll go and see how do I profile more like that. So I've mm-hmm. ended up with this sweet spot of fantastic clients. And I can't agree with you any more than the fact that all clients are not equal and you should absolutely score them. And maybe in this case, the slow paying, small job, pain in the ass clients would have to be the first to go. In fact, I remember um, when I was talking to Perry Marshall, one of the highlights of his little guide was that just by not taking the bottom rung of clients, you automatically lift the whole profit of the business and you get more capacity directed to the higher leveraged clients and the whole thing lifts just by not doing something without even adding anything else. That's always fascinating. Yeah. So with this client, we haven't even had a chance to go through his offers in any great detail yet because we're still like freeing up capacity for him to actually do this. But we helped him be able to increase his fees at the very minimum 20%. He was a little nervous about doing that. He got absolutely no pushback whatsoever. And 20%, I mean, that doesn't sound that that high because oftentimes, especially with agencies, we're helping them double, triple, quadruple their fees. But here's something to be thinking about with fees. So it's about a profitability with this. Since we're talking about sustainability here. And I think this is something that not a lot of businesses have thought through either. And I know, again, you're familiar with this, James, but if you have a $10,000 service and for $10,000, you have a 10% profit margin on this, right? Let's say that. Now, if you go and you increase the fees 10% on that, that's another $1,000, right? You can double your profitability with just a 10% increase in your fees. So, Those are some things to really think about how small changes can make a huge difference in the profitability of the company. It's so true. I mean, one of the examples I had for that was in the car dealership. 
at the point of service, we made a suggestion to all clients who had not been with to us for over a year that we changed the batteries in the remote control of their car. And there's two batteries in the remote control and they were like, it was 20 or $30 to change it. And we were doing 26 repair orders per day. Wow. And a good chunk of them would say yes. And so now you start getting, say, 20 times $30 per day, 280 working days a year. It's a massive change. The same when you do little things like make decisions around banking fees or surcharges on a higher volume business has a profound impact. These are the little hinges that swing big doors. So, so far I've got get paid up front, mm-hmm. score your clients and increase your fees. Right. The other one is related to bottlenecks. Another one that I know you want to talk about. So I do. I love the good bottleneck from yeah. uh, the theory of constraints and Eli Goldbrad. <laughs> it's like, this is where you can get profound leverage in a business for tiny little changes. Uh, right. uh, so yeah go for it. Yeah. And so where we first started doing this at Hands Off CEO, years and years ago, actually, we started doing this fine time now program that it was basically like the first week we worked together with a client, we'd help them find 10 extra hours per week. And the reason why we did that actually was the constraint of people would say, I don't have enough time. I want to do this, but I just don't have enough time to work on this. I know this is what I should do, but I just like, I don't have the time. So I'm like, well, we got to solve that one. So we like, we came up with this solution to immediately uncover some of those bottlenecks and fix them right away. And then we'd be able to do that within the first week working together. So at least 10 extra hours, that's still part of our guarantee, but usually it's around around 20 with a lot of business owners and it's 20 hours to free up to be focusing on. Um, Sometimes it's like, I'm just going to cut 10 hours off my work week because I need to spend more time with my family. And then I'm going to spend 10 more hours working on my business so that I can actually generate more growth. Anyway, so that's one of the first places we started getting into this. And um, we've now developed this into what we call the bottleneck rules. So we have a number of bottleneck rules. We'll have a chance to go over all of them in this episode, maybe maybe a different episode we could do. But um, what we want to do is we want to look at where are all the places that key people, especially the CEO, are doing unnecessary work or where they are stopping things up. And for this client that I was mentioning, he was in there doing a lot of scheduling, easily taking 20 hours per week. And he had to be the one doing the scheduling because his intense knowledge of, of the product, very high level of skill. And no one knows the amount that he does because it's a, a product that they're offering, a service that they're offering that is encompassing both the engineering space and also in another somewhat related space, but he's combined two different industries. And that's why they have such an innovative service but the most innovative services are often the most difficult ones to scale. And we see that all the time with marketing agencies too, when they're offering on the, the sales and marketing or um, marketing and, and operations or like anytime where you have some competitive advantage like that, it's harder to scale, but it's also harder to replicate. Or if you have super specialized knowledge or something that has to be exactly. um, legally certified, like, you know, like medical or, you know, licensed or, or whatever, where only one person can do it. Right. But even within that, the reality is, is the doctor doesn't have to do everything, right? Of course. The doctor doesn't come in and take their paperwork. They don't take them back to the room. They don't take their vitals. That's a perfect example of how it's broken down and specialized. But the problem is, is that when you have so much expertise, it all just gets clumped into one big thing. Mm. And the way it seems like the only way you can delegate it is to find someone with the same level of skill as you, who, by the way, will want to be paid as much as you because of that. 
and to just take that whole big basket and hand it over to them. Mm. And not only is that very expensive and not very cost-effective in your company, it's extremely risky. So the first thing that we did was we went through the safe exit plan. We have the safe exit plan. We use the safe exit plan for different roles and different exits that we walk our clients through. But in this particular one, it was looking for how are we going to get you out of this one key place that's just like taking 20 hours per week for you. So we broke it down and we take a look at, you know, what are the things that they cannot make a mistake on in the role? What are the things you have to get right? And um, what are the ways that you failed in the past to be able to hire this role? And, and to really understand what are the pieces that make the difference between the role. And as, as we're doing this, we're finding all these opportunities. And the reality is, is that he thought that his next hire should be this scheduling person. And while it should be, there was extra work that needed to be done first before he could actually hire this person. So instead, what we did is say, you know what, like you're looking really granular here. Why don't we just go bigger here and actually hire an operations manager? And this operations manager can come in and take another 20, 30 hours um, off of your week. And then they can actually build out this role. Then they can actually train this person to do this. And um, that's going to take even more time off of your schedule. So Sometimes when you're going through those details, you find out what you think is a solution isn't the solution, it's something else. And by doing that, he was able to, just some key shifts in his mindset, he was able to recruit an operations manager who um, he had been trying to recruit for the past five years and who's told him no for five years. He told him no. And he had a conversation in our tribe about like, how can he enroll this person? How could he get them really excited to make this be an opportunity? So he took an action. The next day I hear from him, he's like, he's on board. <laughs> After five years, he said no. And now he said yes. And now he's like all excited about it. And he has this guy that's like, that has so much experience in the field come in, in that role. So um, it's really incredible to see what that's done. That freed up an enormous amount of time. And then it's allowed him to be working on some of these other pieces in the company as he's continuing to remove himself from it. I love it. Yeah, so there's an example. Well, uh, an example I'm thinking of is um, one of my children had some braces. And when we went to visit the orthodontist, they had a really, really slick setup. You deal with someone at the front desk. They bring you into a room. Someone takes pictures. Someone else takes notes. There's no orthodontist to be seen at this point. And then they get you in the chair. They lean him back. They've got his mouth open. The lights are on. And then, boom, in comes the orthodontist, has a quick look, says some stuff to the things. He says, sit down. He explains, the girls are going to show you this or that. And then he goes. He was there for maybe 10 minutes. At the same time, I noticed he walked out of our room into the next room and then the next room. So he had three or four rooms running at once with the exact same support system. And he's just walking between room to room. That's an example of what you're talking about, where they've taken a job. This is something I touched on in my recruitment training is a lot of people are hiring for job roles. And I say, you know what? A role is just a collection of tasks. So split it down into tasks. And so you're doing a task analysis of this person's, um, you're doing a time analysis and then saying, well, what are the tasks done in that time? And then you're taking collections of tasks that are not essential for that person and redistributing them somewhere else. So that's fantastic. The other thing that I found helpful with bottlenecks, most small businesses, the sort of business you're talking about, the bordering on you know, hundreds of thousands or million dollars a year. Most of the team are still waiting on the founder for a decision on something. It's very common. Oh, yeah. They've got to sign off on this or sign off on that. That's usually a, an obvious bottleneck. And the way that I fixed that for my own business was I created a, a for approval channel in our Slack 
which is essentially a production line. Mm. They put something for approval and then I've got a right of change, but if I don't respond to it, it gets published. So it's basically just on a timer. They put it there and then at the end of the day, they'll publish. I've got the chance to look at it beforehand and make adjustments, but if not, it just goes out. Mm. So we've got a, uh, basically the opportunity for me to be involved, but it's optional. And that really helped. And then of course, after time, after training someone, this is a big missing piece from a lot of businesses. So we could talk all day about marketing and lead pages and dancing on TikTok. But one thing that's not happening in most businesses is training, right? Most businesses train less than an under 13 basketball team. And that's a fact. Now, so when I'm wanting to get rid of a task that only I can do, right? Only I can do, uh, like <laughs> editing my podcast or whatever. I'll train the person. I'll actually train them or get them access to training. And then when we've established enough, a level of competency that I'm happy with, I say, you're, it's all yours now. You do not need to send me anything for approval anymore. You're now fully competent. And it's like being certified in a way in this role. And now we can just do like a little spot check here and there for quality control. And of course, put in other processes like a double checker. We double check all emails in our businesses. It's like the uh, launch code for a missile. One person writes the email and sends a test to the other person and they have to approve it. And only when it's approved can it be sent to the customers. Mm, love that. And by doing these little things, we've eliminated so much error. And like, if they ever say to me, oh, can I send you a, an email to check? I'm like, oh, hang on, there's something broken here. If I'm the one checking it, that's no good. I want to experience it from the customer's perspective. I want to be the one after it's all checked. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the experience I want. And so that's how I got my week down to 15 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And it took time, but it's absolutely chunking out those things that are not essential. And I'd say you've described this too. Most business owners have an inflated sense of what they think they have to do. Well, and the reality is, is they do have to do that though, until they've actually put forth the intention and effort to put down criteria for success. I mean, you're describing what criteria is, well, I, I'm sure you have some criteria of success for those emails, for example, when they go out, like what does success look like? What does quality look like? And also give them a decision-making, like some um, criteria for decision-making. And, you know, some of that is core values, right? But other of them, you know, the emails that we have going out, I got my team, there's three criteria that they have to meet that any content that goes out has to meet in order for it to qualify. So that helps if they're looking through old content and looking to repurpose things, because there's some things that are older that we don't want necessarily want to use because they might not be up, up to the level of where our brand is right now. And that's an enormous job to do that. But you can have that done and then just have the very polished version brought to you. I mean, again, to your point about the bottleneck, I mean, treating the output of the bottleneck, you see yourself like gold and just being very respectful of the time of the CEO and only be putting things through that that need to be. Exactly. I'd rather inspect the polished diamond than to go and dig it out of the ground. <laughs> Sure. Well, and it's stressful too. And you know what? I think that there's also a bit of um, a mindset shift to happen here. Because I know that I, I used to feel like a bit of a prima donna when I would have want to have my team just take care of all these things first and have them done to a certain level. But it's not about that. It's really about being able to manage your energy and to manage your time and to be have it be focused on things that are $10,000 an hour plus tasks. Exactly. It's knowing where your effective hourly rate is high and only doing those things. It's the exact same principle as the principle we're talking about with the clients. 
you know, it's the 80-20 or the 64-4 that just not everything's equal Mm -mm. and not all your tasks are equal. And it's great when you find people who are willing to support you in that journey and they're really good at the things that you don't want to do or shouldn't be doing. And of course, if you can eliminate that need to have to do it in the first place, like for example, we've talked about the fundamental difference between getting paid up front versus having to have an accounts receivable process at all. Mm-hmm. You know, eliminating the need for a role is also very effective in some cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Here's the thing is we're, we're talking about these little things, but maybe we should really put some concreteness around what this is going to do. Because this client that I'm talking about These are small little changes. And by the way, there are so many changes that need to be made in this company. It's about knowing the most important things that need to be done first to be able to make the biggest difference. But that one key hire that he had not been able to make for five years literally will add millions of dollars of growth to his company. And then those other roles, I mean, it's incredible, the impact. And, um, you know, the, the price increase... I wouldn't be surprised if that added an additional $300,000 minimum profit extra a year. And um, that's really important. Not just like one of you just keeping your company the same, but you do not want to scale a company with profit margins that are already suffering. Like that's one of the worst things that you can do. Very often, that's, I see this a lot with marketing agencies too. It's like this expectation that, you know what, um, as we scale... This is like a known fact in the industry, which is such bull crap, that quality decreases as we scale and that our profitability increases, it decreases as we scale. Both of those are so false, but it's the reality for most marketing agencies because they don't know a better way. Of course. It's like the drug of choice for most businesses, just get more money in the door. And you touched on it in two things you referenced. One is you said people you work with have to have a good product. There's any number of people with a pretty subpar product out there trying to get attention. And two is you said they need a mature approach. Again, most of the marketing you see from coaches and marketing agencies is all about making that extra $100,000 next month. You know, it's all short-term greed gland squeezing. <laughs> That's why if there's one focus I wanted to have on this episode, it's about how do you make your business survive and sustain and, then, and thrive It's going to be on these things, the things that I learned as a general manager in a big business and the things that you've seen time and time again deployed. It's basically if I I often describe the marketing capacity seesaw and the way that I fix most people I'm helping is to improve their capacity. Because if you improve the capacity, then you only have a marketing challenge to fix. And there's any number of ways to fix the marketing challenge. And that's where I think 99% of people in our industry focus on the marketing side. It's fun to have a capacity conversation. Things like changing the way you do your billing, the way that you filter which clients that are your best clients based on the back end ramifications of your business, the way that the tasks are broken down inside your business, the way that you're hiring. The reason your client was able to hire after five years of not was because of you, because they get experienced eyes on to say, ah, well, okay, just do this. It's like the mechanic lifting the bonnet saying, oh, this wire, I just put this back on and then the whole thing will work. It's priceless to be able to get that experience. So people can actually try and figure it out over the long haul, the slow way, or they can just speed up their success by investing in good guidance. So that's really great what you've been able to do for this client. And I appreciate that. That would have come off episode 900 just for reference, anyone curious to hear more of Mandy, we've got two episodes so far. I suspect we might have more down the track. <laughs> um, well, you know, and I want to, to speak something to this point, because when you're scaling very difficult to scale services, it's really important that you look at everything from the big picture holistic perspective, 
It's not just about more systems and processes or going in and implementing EOS system, which by the way, it's a good system, but it's not going to fix all the things. Like it's not going to give you the sustainability that you need to scale your company. And um, really like from the foundation, this is where I would encourage people to think about scaling, getting the cash flow and the pricing right in your company first and having a really good irresistible offer. And I was talking earlier about, you know, being able to say, this is our pricing terms. Well, how you do that is you have to have a really good kick-ass offer that your prospects are like, oh, I want that, right? Where you can have people lining up to do work with you because you're scaling a world-class service, right? So that irresistible offer, that's what gives you the cash flow to then pay good quality people to then build out those processes for you. So you don't want to just be, I mean, yes, we need to do training, but there's a difference between training someone who already has expertise in it, that you're training them on your way of doing things, and then they're building out the processes for you. That's one way. Or going and training somebody up all the way from the ground up. Now, there are times to train someone up from the ground up, but it's further and more mature on it. It's more mature in your business or at the very beginning when you're totally broke. But when you're at that stage where you're hovering around the low seven figures or just getting up to that point, that is not the time to do that. That will cost you so much money to be training people at that level. And if you're going to have people like that, you're going to bring them on once you have higher skilled people in your team who have built out those processes, then they can have those people. But a very important piece here is that this is not about the CEO building the business. This is about the CEO leading the team to build the business. And that way it's not dependent on any one person and anything you invest in people gets put right back into the company. Yeah. I love that. It's a great distinction. And um, yeah, for reference, when I was talking about training before, I'm saying, especially task handover. Sure. I imagine your client is going to have to hand over those tasks to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And there'll be an element of um, handholding perhaps in the beginning, which I think people are afraid of. I also like to train two people at once if I'm going to train someone. (laughs) It's rather than one. I like to build redundancy at the very first level, if possible. No, I love that. I remember you when you actually, you um, had a podcast episode on that years ago. You called it, I think you called it the uh, Noah's Ark. Noah. Did you call it? Noah's principle. (laughs) Two of everything. And I mean, one of the other things, because I started my team fairly early, um, I was just talking to them yesterday. And I think they're clocking up 11 and a half years now. So over time, you're right, the company has its own vibe. It's, I mean, yes, you've got values. We know what our company actually is. We know what it's, mm. we know what our materials are. We know the context of everything. We have a long ranging history of what changes have happened over the business from the beginning. So it develops its own brain. And, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm getting this sort of a repeat theme, even when I'm speaking to other people about stuff like traffic. When people move from just being process-oriented to being able to actually think, that's when you get the big shift. So the way that you're describing it is your business is going to be a thinking and self-managing organism, a lot like um, Ricardo Semler talks about. I love his material, and I was very heavily influenced by a couple of his books, which helped me change a lot of things uh, in my business. For example, when they talk about one of the things he did was take away the metal detectors and the strip searches at the end of the day in the factories. Cause he said, look, we've got to trust our people. And if they're going to steal, they'll steal. But like this process of saying to everyone, we don't trust you is not productive. Mm. We basically disbanded a lot of the formal structure in our company and just said, you know what, we're all mature here. And we're just, we're trying to do good work and we know what we're trying to do here. 
So we don't have formal holidays, sick leave, days off and you know, clock watching or any of that time tracking software, none of that. And I think people really like working in the business because you know, our impact is recognised and we do have things like daily dashboards so we can see what's happening, but we're all participating together. And I absolutely, I feel like I just play my role in the business, but the business is a separate thing that we're all a part of. It's a good feeling when you get to that stage. Mm -hmm. Hopefully most people listening to this will get past the three to five year stage and have an actual business. If you just take the, um, yeah, the marketing blinkers off for a minute and you do focus on just having a great delivery of your service, having a fantastic offer and looking for all the little leverage points that can come, the unobvious ones, like how you get paid and clearing out the bottlenecks that are holding you back from getting stuff done, then you'll be on track. Mm. This has been a a good discussion. I appreciate you coming back to share with us, Mandy. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, James. It's been a pleasure. So you're over there at handsoffceo.com. This is episode 940. I've been chatting with Mandy Ellefson. She also was on episode 900. We'll put up some show notes where this episode appears. If you feel like that uh, Mandy could help you or that I could help you in your business, reach out to either of us. We each have different programs and uh, I'm sure we'll have Mandy back to talk about some other things. If you've got suggestions for an episode, let me know and uh, I'll ask if she's keen to do it. Thanks so much, Mandy. (laughs) Thanks, James. This is James Schramko. 